All right, welcome back to another episode of the Look Up Podcast. On this episode, I interviewed Jeff Bausimer, founder of the East Meets West Festival. Jeff and I were introduced through my first guest, Andrew Murray Dunn. And as you know, the goal of the show is to highlight individuals tackling modern societal issues in a unique way. Through East Meets West Festival, Jeff is bringing ancient Eastern practices such as herbal medicine back into the mainstream to help solve medical and mental health issues. For seven years, Jeff suffered from chronic illness that Western medicine couldn't cure, which forced him to experiment with unconventional but traditional Eastern medicinal systems. His festival gives modern people tools for personal, social, and cultural revolution by catalyzing the conversation around human potential, well-being, creative culture, entrepreneurial leadership, and social impact. Jeff and I discuss the flaws of scientific materialism and the inability for us to prove cause and effect. We dive a bit into psychedelics, which Jeff describes as the next wellness trend. It's a lighthearted and at times meandering conversation, but I think it highlights just how intelligent Jeff is and his wide range of knowledge. I had a lot of fun with this one, and I hope you enjoy listening to it. So here's Jeff Balsamer. So Jeff, thank you for agreeing to come on the show. Uh, still is yet to be named podcast um, with even more vague <laughs> description of what we're trying to cover here. Um, so, you know, I appreciate you taking the leap of faith and, and coming on. Thank you. Uh, so I guess for starters, you know, would love to hear a little bit about you and, and your background. Sure. So uh, where to start? Okay. So I currently produce an event called East Meets West, which is a music wellness festival that I've done for the past four or five years in New York and San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Um, I started it because uh, for a number of reasons in school, um, when I was 19, I was very depressed and, um, had a lot of other challenges, was a closeted gay man. And, um, a lot of just things were not working and, you know, I was going to a good school. I was going to Tufts in Boston and, mm. um, I'd gone to the oldest public high school in the country and, um, you know, considered myself to, you know, be a very, you know, devout Western scientific materialist intellectual type of character. <laughs> and, uh, you know, was studying under Daniel Dennett, who's like kind of, you know, one of the more like, well-known scientific materialist mm. philosophers in the country. Can world. you can you explain for people like me who don't know what scientific materialism is, but what it means? Yeah, so it's basically the idea that the entire everything is physical. Mm. Um, there's and everything can be explained scientifically, if not now, at some point in the future. It's like a it's a faith-based mm. kind of dogma. Um, but that, you know, operates as a kind of science, you know, quote unquote science, um, based on, you know, scientific findings and scientific research, um, which of course is limited to that, which we can observe, right. Which is of course limited to micro, whatever you can actually see with a microscope, which we already know is limited. We've never seen an electron. Um, you know, we only understand them essentially as kind of mathematical probabilities, um, which isn't to say that they don't exist and that we don't have a way of kind of understanding what their effects are. Um, but to say that we fully understand the physical quote unquote, the physical under 
pinnings of the universe would be an overstatement. Yeah. And um, that kind of has its logical end in our beings themselves, our, our bodies and our brains being physical structures that give rise to human experience as as an epiphenomena so what you're actually seeing and experiencing is just a byproduct of physical mechanisms Mm -hmm. neurons firing in your brain so uh it's a very it's based on cause and effect um it understands the universe to be deterministic so things operate in a way that can be determined um, or should be able to be determined if we're able to factor in all the you know appropriate um, if we're able to you know though we can't fully do that now we would be able to if we could um, actually factor in all those things um, and so to me you know that ends up leading you into there's no if you believe that there's no possibility of soul there's no possibility of afterlife there's no possibility of free will it essentially just means that we're robots who are like performing Mm. a dance you know that like means nothing um there is no essentially like you have no ability to determine your own outcomes um and Ultimately, that can be a really depressing outlook. <laughs> like, if you really follow it to its conclusion, like, a lot of people who believe in it will claim, like, oh, well, I think that the universe is, like, it's so vast and magnificent. It's like, like yes, but also, if and that, that can be true for you as a scientist, but if you have no agency and if there's no meaning, like, what the fuck is the point, mm. you know? Um, what would you do if your life had no meaning, if you knew that your li- there was no meaning? I mean, honestly, like, what I was, like, considering at the time, like, I thought of, like, I didn't necessarily, I wouldn't say that I was suicidal, mm. but I was so, like, I didn't want to do anything. Like, it felt mm. like it didn't matter. Like, nothing mattered, you know? And, like, just, like, look at our culture. Like, that's where the culture is. And most people carry these assumptions as, like, limiting beliefs that they're not even aware are fully there for them. Most people haven't engaged with a philosophical understanding of the universe, but they absorb it from contemporary culture. You know, we operate as a materialistic culture, right? We like seek things outside of ourselves in order to feel fulfilled. And that's because we're looking towards material things for our feelings of enjoyment. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And ultimately, you know, and this is the next part of, you know, my story and why I do what I do is that when I was 19, I, We'll make a, a bit of a long story short, but I was invited by my friend to go to this music festival um, called Dream Time in Colorado. And at the time, I um, it was the year after my freshman year at college, and uh, I had three hundred dollars, and so I just took it and took my parents' car and told them that I was going to Cape Cod, which is an hour and a half from Boston, and I just drove to Colorado. No. Mm-hmm. And wow. So I ended up going on like a three-week, four-week road trip my best friend that started with going to a music festival with like a bunch of super duper hippies, which was like totally, I'd never even really been to a yoga class. Like, (laughs) you know, it's like pretty bold for a 19 year old. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, I guess that's when you do bold things. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was one to 
you know, sneak out of school and like take my parents' car and like drive to parties before I had a license and mm. do stuff like that. So it wasn't out of character for me completely. Um, but this was like next level, you know? Um, so yeah, at the festival, the first three days were, you know, weird in their own way. I felt like I was in a new world, you know, I just was so unfamiliar with all the Surrounded stuff. by all the hippies. Right. You know, like people yeah. named Kale and uh, <laughs> like literally solar kale at gmail.com. I remember one of the persons. <laughs> um, yeah. Solar kale. Like, you know, just That's people great. talking about crystals and all that funky stuff. And, um, you know, I was having an interesting experience the first few days for sure. But then on the last day, um, I was up at sunrise. I'd been up all night on ecstasy, just like partying. And the guy next to me got offered acid. And so I did it. And, Mm. uh, over the course of the next 12 hours, I just had a ton of things happen. I, uh, realized that I needed to come out of the closet. And Mm. so I did that with my friend a couple days later who I was on the road trip with. Um, I so you up, had a, you were still closeted at this time. Yeah. Okay. Um, I and up, your friend didn't know. I mean, she knew because it was obvious. She, <laughs> <laughs> so when you did, yeah. it was it was a big deal for you. Yeah, it was huge for me. And she, I, I hope, appreciated that. Of course. But yeah. also was like, <laughs> yeah, I, I I know. She's like, oh, that's so great. But I mean, duh. <laughs> <laughs> And, <laughs> and would you say like it was, you know, it was a psychedelic experience that gave you the courage to do this? It kind of broke it open or was it, you know, because sometimes these, you know, these festivals, right? There's yeah. a lot of these psychedelic experiences available to attendees there. And I wonder if it's if it's the um, quote unquote medicine induced state mm-hmm. or if it's actually just the environment of acceptance totally yeah um in and of itself yeah i mean i feel like i was experiencing the environment the first few days you know yeah. and it was really it was interesting to me um but it was definitely taken to the next level on acid mm-hmm. um i mean ultimately i think you'll hear this from anyone who's you know a researcher on psychedelics that like the and the set and setting make all the difference in what the experience is going to be like of course um so, and those you're with right which i guess falls under setting right yeah totally but yeah i mean so i hear for me like uh it did i also wouldn't say that it gave me courage it literally felt as though i was not in the closet anymore like it mm-hmm. literally it was as though i had already come out like it just felt like none of the thoughts in my own mind were correct like any of the like like what will this person think or like this person will mm-hmm. feel like i lied to them like none of that mattered. It was as though I could step out of my own. It was like looking at myself from an objective view. So it was liberating. It wasn't a struggle when you took the, took these substances that you were facing something inside of you that felt, you know, like you broke through in a way. It was just light. Yeah. It was just like, holy shit, this is fucking awesome. Like (laughs) there was no, like, it wasn't like ayahuasca. It wasn't like battling demons or whatever, you know, it was just like, Cutting the yeah, because of course, with the psychedelic experience, I think you know you mentioned this earlier when we were chatting offline. It's a grab bag. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right? And you never know what you're going to get with that. Right. I mean, I was generally in an environment with people who were like doing self development work. You know, mm. um, I had other experiences on it too. I mean that that alone was valuable in itself for sure. Yeah. Um, but I also 
ended up realizing that I didn't, I needed to drop out of the college that I was going to. I ended up re-enrolling in another college that was amazing. That was like much more suited for what I ended up wanting to do. So you dropped out of Tufts? I dropped out of Tufts. Um, and I, right after this experience? Uh, yeah, I mean, that was immediate. I was like, I'm done here. Like, well, I can't be here anymore. So you spent a year basically learning? I was mostly focused on philosophy, um, yeah. a little bit on international relations, but kind of just... And it was too stuffy for you. It wasn't f- freeing your mind, opening your mind. It was more kind of, you felt like you were getting... Yeah, it was just like very basic... Um, the classes were huge. There was no personal attention being paid to you. Yeah. Like, uh, there was very little accountability. Um, I mean, I had heard about the school that I ended up going to at St. At, at Tufts. What was it called? St. John's College okay. in New Mexico. There's one in Annapolis too. And mm-hmm. my favorite teacher at Tufts was like, if I could be a teacher anywhere, I'd be a teacher here. And I was like, well, I want to go wherever my favorite teacher would want to be a teacher. Yeah, absolutely. And so I went and checked it out and it, amazing like st john's is an incredible school where where in new mexico is this santa fe okay yeah so a backdrop of the desert and yeah, the mountains gorgeous. yes yeah beautiful yeah. it's like an incredibly gorgeous school and set and setting exactly yeah no yeah. yeah the the program itself too is really cool like everyone majors in the same thing there's technically no tests or grades hmm. there are those things a little bit um but like you have to ask for your grades and and, and now I want to, I want to step back. I mean, obviously you made a lot of changes from this experience, but you said you were depressed, mm-hmm. um, going into this, mm-hmm. uh, that depression, you know, did it come back after this experience or did? Yeah. 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 So, so talk to me about that a little bit. Yeah. So it came back in a much different way. Mm. Um, I don't know if you're like super familiar with like young Yen or like, uh, Joseph Campbell type stuff but you know no i mean uh, uh, carl jung yeah. fascinated by his work but definitely cool, yeah. there's room to learn sure, always yeah. i mean so like you know in the process of like confronting the shadow or like confronting the animus or the anima like uh, for males it's typically you'll confront an anima figure so like the part of yourself that's the female disembodied part of yourself when you like start to do self-development work um, because our culture is like so bifurcated. Mm-hmm. Um, Gen- you mean on gender lines, bifurcated? Yeah. yeah. And so this is man, this is woman, this is the attributes that we apply to both of them. Exactly. Rather than integrating masculine and feminine into one being. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So, like, you know, and part of that is for, I mean, for the culture at large, is like not accepting what are more traditionally feminine characteristics of like intuition right Mm. um and you know for me that experience i'd have to just finish the the story there too is that yeah of course um as i you know realized that i needed to do all that stuff my friend was like well let's go to this like workshop and so we go to the workshop and um people are doing uh, we're sitting in a circle and everyone is doing an ohm Mm. And I actually thought that they were saying yum because I'd never been to anything like this before. <laughs> and people like at the event were saying yum like a different like. Well, they could be saying yum. They could be saying yum, yum too. Yeah. Right? They could be yamaka. I don't know. Well, a lot of them were Jewish for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think yum is um, yum is the the sound of the heart chakra. Yes, yeah, from I, what I understand. I but, that that's right. Yeah. But om, you know, <laughs> yum is more fun, anyways. Yeah, sure. <laughs> 
Yeah, so they were they were doing that, and as they were doing that, I could see energy coming out of everyone's mouth and collecting in the center of the circle, and then like exploding outwards like a firework. Like it looked like a movie special effect. I was just like, "What? Wow, that's some good acid." It was really good acid. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I could have probably attributed that to like my own just being a hallucination that doesn't mean anything. Mm. Um, but then right after that, I was in a workshop where I was partnered with this guy and we were supposed to tell each other what we wanted out of community. And as we started to speak, he were staring at each other for like 20 minutes. And all of a sudden his face starts to change into millions of older people's faces, just like in a kind of like clockwise, like little pizza slices changing into like different people's faces. Wow. And then he changed into a huge white owl. And while he was talking to you. Yes. And, wow. And like my eyes were completely open it was just like and what did he say did, did you well, were you like sir you're a white owl yeah, <laughs> like I couldn't, I'm sorry I couldn't speak I so, was literally just like <laughs> do you believe he had awareness of uh, of what you were experiencing no he was like he was worried for he was like are you okay and I was like, <laughs> <laughs> he like started to cry to at one point it was like a crying owl I was oh like oh my god too much <laughs> <laughs> sounds like it and for okay, and then for years, like I had no, to, like you know, I go to this experience and then I leave, and I have no way of like actually understanding what had happened to me. You know, like I I would literally Google afterwards, like old man, acid, owl, like yeah. I was just gonna say, so I'm guessing, you know, given your, you know, your experience to date, I, I have a sense that you might've looked up the symbology of a white owl. Of course, yeah, of course. So what does a white owl mean in, in, in different cultures? Yeah. So, uh, as far as I know, cause I know of it from Harry Potter and that's, <laughs> it means that I'm Harry Potter. <laughs> you might be, you have yeah, the glasses. That's, that's honestly, if I get that at bars. Oh my God, I'm Leviosa. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, Harry Potter over here. I'm like, I'll take it. Honestly, I'm kind of cool. Um, yeah, as far as I know, um, in especially the Lakota tribe, they view out, like if you see an owl, it tends to mean that you're a medicine person, mm. work medicine, which I am doing. And like, I didn't even try. Okay. Like I, and you can say it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, but like truly it's not like I, if I were to tell you all the things that I was, if, all the trainings that I've done have all been for free. Like I've just been able, like I've been. It's funneled. just come to you. I've just been funneled into these things yeah. and I'm interested in it for sure. Like I mm. am genuinely, like I love that stuff. Um, but like at the time I had no idea that that's was going to be, you know, what I was going to be doing. But I mean, also certainly relevant for me at the time was that, you know, you can look at the owl as the bird that flies in the night and saves people from darkness. So I was in a very, and it's also, you know, very stereotypically the like animal that represents wisdom. Mm. And I was the wise old owl. Yeah. And I was in like a deep philosophical, my depression was philosophical. You know, I was like, I am depressed because I think that my understanding of the universe is, uh, that we're all robots, <laughs> you know, according to these philosophical ideas. Yeah. We're just I, meat machines. Right. It's like carried on by some chemical reactions in right. our meat sack at the top of our head. Right. You know, I yeah. mean, sounds really, it's not very romantic, not romantic. That's for sure. Yeah. And yeah. I don't, it doesn't leave much room for awe or wonder or, 
you know, mm. mystery. And mm. not that that's something that you should like seek just because you want them. But, you know, I ended up experiencing things that were not super explainable according to, I mean, you could, so you could look at those as being, um, figments of my imagination for sure. Yeah. Um, the thing was that the next day after the festival was over, me and Chelsea were at a restaurant, uh, for breakfast and I, for whatever reason was in the mood for apple cider and it was like the middle of summer. So like, I don't know, I identify as apple cider as being kind of a hot drink. Yeah, definitely um, like fall. Right. Right. Right around pumpkin spice latte. Yeah, time. exactly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I'm in the mood for this. I was like, and what are the odds that they'll have this tiny little restaurant? Mm. And, um, I asked for it and they were like, yeah, we have that. And so they come out and they give the bottle to my friend Chelsea and Chelsea had been paired up with Chelsea was with another older gentleman, her, the, that older guy and the older guy that I was paired with were friends. So we ended up being paired together. And so Chelsea had seen this guy. She takes a look at the bottle and then she takes a look at me and takes a look at the bottle again and takes a look at me. And just like, is it like flabbergasted shows me the bottle and it's a picture of that guy's face on the bottle. It was his apple cider company. The guy that you were sitting with. Yes. The guy who I'd seen turn into an owl. Oh, the owl guy. Yes. <laughs> and he wasn't with you at this, at this meal. No. <laughs> wow. Have I, you ever s- sought him out? Yeah. I emailed him maybe two years afterwards. Okay. Um, he's was, like, was he like, get away from me, kid? I don't know anything about any owls. No, no, no. <laughs> he, was, he was nice. He wasn't, you know, it wasn't, his experience was not my experience. Yeah, of course. Um, he was really nice though. He was like living in South America. He had retired um, from running his his apple cider company, Big B's Apple Cider. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I I'd be curious. I don't even know if he's still alive. He was definitely. Well, we'll look up Big B's Apple Cider afterwards, and yeah. if anybody wants to order, this is not sponsored by Big B's <laughs> Apple Cider. Um, well, I want to get back to a couple of things that you said. So, you know, I I feel this. Um, I feel this qualification that I can tell you're um, intentionally making. And the qualification is it might have just been a figment of a figment of my imagination. And I know that a lot of people who do psychedelics take it very literally um, and believe that they are experiencing some type of spiritual awakening and these beings or visions are happening outside of them. Um, Walk me through that qualification I feel that this is something that you consciously have, have made for sure. And then does it matter? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it matters a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, so ultimately any experience that you have on psychedelics is going to be a subjective one. There's going to be no way for you to fully prove whatever is happening in your mind is happening on the outside. Mm. Um, I've certainly had experiences that suggest that that is what's happening, you know, like, as, as one example, like doing ayahuasca and having like a really negative entity or spirit or whatever you want to call it, Mm. um, pop up for me. And then a dog in the room at the time, um, as soon as it popped up for me, the dog yelped, ran over to the foot of my bed and started shaking. Mm. (laughs) And anytime the thing would pop back up into my vision, the dog would yelp and start shaking again Mm. as though like it was like attacking it or like doing something with it, having some kind of interaction with it. I think that there is an interrelationship between, you know, the outside world and the inside world, but that's because I don't think that there's any real separation there. Mm. Um, but when you're talking about whatever your experiences are, if you extrapolate into saying that that somehow makes them real, 
Um, that's the same thing as saying everything's material, as though material means real, or material is like the only meaningful word that you could use to describe those things. Mm. Realness and and material is that's a figment of our imagination as well. Um, those terms are you know kind of thrown about in a way that doesn't allow for the intersubjectivity of having an experience that is unique to you and that doesn't have um, if you only if you're only like operating from a point of thinking that like you know things that are able to be proven objectively are mm. true then you're only going to have those kinds of experiences and you're only going to you're going to be limited to the types of things that um, you would think could be understood in the universe. Yeah, that brings me back to kind of like the shared delusion of reality in and of itself, right? Like mm -hmm. one way of proving that your visions are true is to is to have a shared mm -hmm. experience. Yeah. And I know a lot of scientific research around psychedelics um, to date are, are kind of moving in that direction. In other words, um, you know, Graham Hancock yeah. talks about this experience of getting someone really into the heightened mental state of DMT for a long period of time in a lab setting mm -hmm. or having multiple people in that setting together yeah. and then reporting on what they saw to try to prove that there's some kind of commonality yeah. because a lot of people experience similar visions when yeah. they're on DMT or ayahuasca. Yeah. And now the, the irony of that to me is, you know, it goes back to kind of... Um, Descartes, I think, and I wasn't a philosophy major, but cogito ergo sum, yeah. right? I think, yeah. therefore, I am. It's the only thing that he could truly prove. Yeah. I can't even prove that you're really in this room with me right now. You could right. be a figment of my imagination. Right. Yeah. And all the 10 people that are going to listen to this podcast yeah. might hear you as well, but it could just be a shared delusion for all of us. Yeah. And so I, I think that's why, you know, I asked, does it matter? Because, you know, you qualify it as this might have just been a figment mm -hmm. and it's quite quite possibly was but the experience still resonated with you right and that learning still resonated with you and has an effect on and a ripple throughout your life so what's the difference yeah totally yeah and i guess so it definitely you know all of these things if if, the, if you're having experience of those things like hopefully they do create some kind of experience that matters for you but also I was taking what you were saying to also be a little bit of a, I think it's important for people to distinguish when they have experiences to not then go into the realm of being like, okay, well I've had an experience of like God, you know, and like extrapolating whatever they're experiencing to be something that it may not be. You know, mm. um, it's like the lesson of Don Quixote, you know, like there could always be an evil gin who's like giving you a like experience that you think is a good one, but actually there's like something bad underneath it. Like there, even if you were to have some experience of like something super transcendently divine and amazing and like, you know, you're like seeing the chakras and like moving out of your body and like whatever, right? Like what if underneath that there's like something else, right? There's always mm. like, there's always going Layers. to be more potentially other things that could be explaining things. Um, whenever I hear anyone, you know, kind of stopping the 
um, the distinction between what they've experienced as subjective and objective, or as, when they start describing things as like they start using absolute, God. yeah, they start using absolutes like that. It to me is like you're missing the point. Like you're you've been given an experience of something that's like indescribable and ineffable, mm. and like if you want, you can like refer to it as God. But to me, that's like giving it a, it's like putting a box on something that like the whole time you were experiencing was saying, I'm not a box. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think even like let's move moving out of the realm of psychedelics towards kind of like a traditional Eastern practice like yoga, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the tradition was passed down from guru to mm-hmm. student. And oftentimes it was via parroting what the guru did. Yeah there was never even necessarily a description, Mm. right, of, you know, of what the guru might be experiencing on a day-to-day. And it's funny, I I listened to uh, Tom Knowles' podcast, Mm -hmm. and I don't know if you've heard. I know, I know of him, but. Okay, so Tom Knowles um, was one of the founders of this Transcendental Meditation School in the United States, studied under the Maharishi, um, great yoga master, and he interviewed Eddie Stern, um, who started yeah, one I of the major Ashtanga schools in New York. And they have a section in their latest interview about um, psychedelics. And, you know, Tom mentions in a way that kind of resonated with me because at first it struck me as, oh, wow, like this is a little, um, dare I say, arrogant. But I had to reflect and say, why, you know, why is that causing this emotion in me? Because I have massive respect for him. And basically what he said was, I've never done any psychedelic in my entire life. And frankly, I think that, you know, he was more articulate, but frankly, I think that the experience that I'm having on a day-to-day basis, having practiced 30 years of meditation throughout my life every single day might be considered a psychedelic experience if someone could witness my consciousness. Uh So basically I'm fucking tripping all the time. Um, And, but like that his conscious experience cannot be taught right. in the sense of like, he can't verbalize it to you or me right. 100%. and thus we absorb it that way. Totally. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's subjective and yet it's absolute at the same time, potentially. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. It, for me that, I think that meditative awareness to people who resonate more with that tend to be less to me, I guess in my experience, I found that people who do psychedelics veer more towards absolutes. Um, I think oftentimes because they actually have experiences of like spirits, which like in yogic tradition, like talking like chakra wise, like it's like the difference between like a sixth and a seventh chakra experience, like six chakra is like, you're seeing spirits, you're seeing embodied entities, you're seeing things that like have form. Whereas like seventh chakra is more like disembodied, like pure consciousness, like doesn't have a description to it. Um, And I think meditators tend to get more of that kind of experience. Whereas Mm -hmm. shamanic practitioners or people who utilize psychedelics, they like have more visionary experiences. So they like get attached to the forms of things. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's like a primary warning in like all yogic teachings it's like don't get attached to the forms because like when you start doing yoga you'll open your consciousness up to having experiences like that having cities or superpowers and like if you get caught there if you get stuck thinking that that's the beyond all of like the things that you can experience then that's a problem yeah they're Um, not yours right they're not 
your superpowers. You don't hold them. Right, totally. They might be something that's flowing through you as yeah. a vessel yeah. of energy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's. I think a lot of the people who, like, get attached to those things, they're probably even aware of that. You know, they, like, oftentimes are doing healing work with other people or they're, like, doing good things in the world. But making the pitfall of, like, having those experiences and being like, oh, I saw this spirit. So like, that means that I'm working with God and it's like, maybe you're working with the devil. Like who knows? Like whatever the energy that you're working with, like if you don't question it, if you're not like, okay, there's maybe there's something that comes after this or, you know, maybe I'm not experiencing God. Then like you've, you've closed yourself off to, you know, the, the real, the juice and meat of those experiences, you know? Mm. Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, um, I'm a little bit kind of, you know, taken by what you just said because it almost it almost sounds like underneath a potentially subjectively good, mm-hmm. there could be an underlying bad. Yeah. Right. So when we take a subjective opinion on mm-hmm. outcomes, um, you know, or experiences, mm-hmm. then we don't integrate the whole experience potentially. Yeah. Now, I guess the question is when you take that to an extreme, yeah. how does one set a moral compass for oneself? Yeah. Uh, it's a good question. I mean, I don't know why it's happened in the way that it's happened or why I see like so many people doing psychedelics and then like not integrating what they've experienced, which for me has looked like literally like I, you know, I don't do psychedelics anymore because I've, got the message like i can hang the phone up for sure (laughs) Um, like i've had those visionary experiences did you have a few after um after this first experience that we talked about oh yeah for sure yeah Yeah. i mean i probably i did ayahuasca in peru like 15 times or something like that okay um that was many years after but um you know probably did acid i don't know probably 15 to 20 times too yeah um also not doing that super intelligently. Like right after I graduated college, I was like, just part of yeah, wherever, you know? wherever you were going, there <laughs> right, was yeah. a little bit of, yeah. I mean, LSD. I, truly I had valuable experiences on yes. every trip that I ever did, you know? And sometimes it was through negative experiences that were actually showing me like that I was not in a good place and that I needed to like get out of the mm-hmm. situations that I was in. Um, you know, I've, I've never looked at a negative experience as being like just a bad trip. It was always telling like if it was a bad trip it was like warning me about someone that i was either like living with or friends with or interacting with all the time like it was showing me something um and anytime that i've like you know done those things i generally have like you know tapped into some kind of visionary experience that i've now mm. been able to tap into without the use of psychedelics um more so the, the more that i meditate the more that i'm able to do that without having to try as much. and do you feel that psychedelics jump started you in that regard you know sure. or do yeah. you think that's it okay yeah i and i mean i like maybe meditating is like you can just get there meditating and maybe it would be cool if like that was the you know the ultimate if if everyone can meditate and get there like that would be great um, I don't know if that's fully possible. I think that psychedelics are here for a reason and that, yeah. um, you know, shamanic cultures have used them as a, you know, a process to help 
basically like induct people into adulthood into whatever visionary experiences kind of give you in terms of confronting more difficult responsibilities, um, allowing you to, you know, really look at things from the outside and take on responsibilities and painful experiences willingly, not looking at it as these, you know, just, uh, things to be avoided. Right. Um, they give you in a lot of ways, I think they give you an attention span that like anyone these days could really wish to have. And Mm -hmm. probably, you know, children who are like raised on TV, like have no conception of being, you know, with their 15 second attention spans, you know, yeah, like gives you this much deeper awareness to look at things more deeply and, and look through things too. Mm. Like a, a greater sense of presence, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Mm. So talk to me about East meets West. Are you, bringing these lessons that you've learned to others and um, is there, are there psychedelics involved or is it? Yeah. Everyone at the event gets psychedelics. (laughs) (laughs) It's really wild. (laughs) We just dose everybody and then we shut the doors and we start playing Saving Private Ryan on a green screen. Oh my God. That sounds terrifying. (laughs) I don't want anything to do with that. I love that movie. I like took a huge like bong rip in college at one point and we like turned on Saving Private Ryan and everyone in the room was just like, why the fuck did we do this? Like, yeah, <laughs> such a nightmare. Just like, it's like watching Saving Private Ryan in slow motion. It's like yeah. a nightmare. Um, no, no psychedelics at the event. <laughs> I mean, maybe people do them, but I, we certainly don't give them out. Yeah. Um, it's more of an informational thing in a lot of ways. I mean, mm. and ultimately it's more of an experiential thing that, in a certain way, like my goal is to be able to create experiences that provide the kind of transformation that psychedelics yes. can give people without the use of psychedelics. Um, of course, like you can't, you can't necessarily always do that for a lot of people. So like, you know, in a lot of ways, it's mostly about introducing people who are not super familiar with that stuff in a way that makes it accessible to people. Mm. Um, so, you know, ideally I'm trying to get people who have at least some version of like a Western medical background, um, or who can speak to that audience in a way that feels comfortable. And that's not so new agey, like that doesn't like veer into, uh, extremism and like, you know, talking about new agey, what do you mean by that? Like to me, it's a nebulous term, but when someone is too far on the spiritual side and like, I feel like I can't comfortably like make a poop joke with them. Like that's what, (laughs) you know, like where I feel like they wouldn't get it or like, or like, I feel like they haven't had sex in two years, you know, at least like there's a lack of practicality maybe in in their kind of outward. Yeah. There's an ungroundedness, you know, there's like literally like you just don't, I don't feel at ease around them and that's a subjective thing you know of course um but it's something that i've cultivated in myself and so it's something that i can kind of sense with other people to me to me new agey is more is actually less along the lines of they move too far spiritual it's more along the lines of they've integrated spirituality in a way that supports their lifestyle habits Mm -hmm. um that aren't necessarily productive so like Mm -hmm. you know 
you you don't meet a deadline and it's like everything happens for a reason oh for sure you know <laughs> like totally. what's meant to be will be <laughs> you know and maybe that works for some people sometimes i'm kind of envious of like those people that walk through life and seem like um you know mr bean right <laughs> just like blissfully ignorant just kind of like ooh, that rock almost fell on my head but it didn't it fell on your head and that's because i don't <laughs> care about things you know and uh and, and another way i would describe it is kind of like Almost like uh, there's like this, and I'd love to talk more about this with you because it doesn't sound like East meets West is about this at all. Um, but there is an element in kind of uh, modern spiritual culture that is basically using spirituality as a front to go get fucked up. Yeah, for sure. Right. And like, <laughs> yeah. And so it's like, oh, we're like intentionally partying, you know, like like the Burning Man vibe, yes. which Burning Man has an incredible effect on many people and it's a wonderful event and I don't mean to, to bash you oh, know, yeah, Burning Man in that way and yeah, I enjoy it myself but yeah. like you know there is an element of yeah. I'm literally going to the playa to get smashed right. and then say that I had a spiritual awakening right and you know and not to discredit some people who are who are you know of those 10 days have one day where they do something that actually is like really transformational for them, you know, yeah, like of course it's, it's baby steps for everyone. Um, and I think you have to be patient with that. And, you know, I think people who absolutely who utterly hate burning man have usually never been, um, and don't recognize that like, Jesus Christ, like at least there's something cool happening in the United States. Like <laughs> I'll take it, you know, like fuck, like everything oh, else is so Applebee's <laughs> shitty. Like, <laughs> I like, I love Applebee's by the way. <laughs> I literally was raised on it like every night. I was going to say they used to have like a, it takes two special that you and my friends went to in high school. <laughs> Don't smash Applebee's, all right? There's <laughs> no, nothing those, sacred. Those red oh, I would eat those still. I bet I would. No, I probably wouldn't. I no, of course. I mean, and, and it's Burning Man's a great experience, but but no, people are are utilizing those things, are, are covering it. There's spiritual materialism, you know. It's you know, uh, yes, a I, version of materialism. I just covered up. I just want to find, you know a world where we have um, where we have a fine balance of like head and heart. Yeah, totally. You know, like just because you move towards spirituality does not mean that you don't have a, you know, a sharp head on your shoulders. Right. right? And you, you can think clearly about these things. Some things are not able to be, experienced. Some things are meant to be experienced right. rather than rationalized. Yeah, totally. And that's where the heart and maybe the spirit comes in. Totally. Yeah. And then I think people get stuck there because like we're kind of raised in a head culture, you know, yeah, like for sure. overthinking things, um, over rationalizing. And then people find this like heart centered way of being and they are kind of like stay away, like rational thinking and like, you kind of have to, you know, it's a hobbit's journey, like there and back again, you know, like you, yes, have, of, you have, have to that. go back there <laughs> and like reintegrate that because like, then you have, you know, there, I would describe it as kind of being like an anti-intellectualism, you know, there's like this way in which people are like skeptical and, you know, I don't like Peter Jordan, what is his name? Jordan Peterson's like sexual mm. politics. I think that he's, um, 
think he just like doesn't have any like gay or trans friends. And if he did, he'd probably just be like, oh, I get it. Um, <laughs> he's just like, living in this bubble of like what I've seen like, in interviews or just like he like lives with like his apartment is just like decorated with like pictures of like 1940s like memorabilia. And it's like, well, that's like what you're living in. Like that's what you're going to be afraid of, you know? So yeah. I, I get And he has like, such a strong following. Right. You know, but it, it's and because, people write him off. Right. Uh, in the spiritual world right. without really listening. Right. And like there, but the, the element of him that I, I mean, you know, he's into Jungian stuff. He's into like actually confronting dark stuff, which that tends to be what spiritual people like get afraid of, where they think that they've confronted and then they actually really haven't. Um, or they've gone into spiritual practices without having, like, truly, I think that you need to have some kind of philosophical backbone. Like, you need to have some kind of backbone there. That's in any yoga philosophy, like, that's an yeah. integral component. Like, you have to have some understanding of those things in order to be able to understand, okay, like, that's what this means. Like, that's what, if you have an experience of seeing your grandmother in the afterlife, what does that mean philosophically? Like, that means that you would have to have a soul. So does that mean that that's separate from your physical body? Does What does that say about the difference between things that are material or spiritual or disembodied? Like it begs all these questions. And if you don't have any tools to like attack that, then you're going to kind of just be like in this stew of like, I don't fucking get it. So like, I guess I'm just going to like wear white and go do more ayahuasca and like try and <laughs> let it figure just itself out. Just keep going back to the well right. and having that heightened state of consciousness right. without really processing it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah it's honestly, it's the, the, it's funny how like anything can be swept up into um, into the cultural zeitgeist, mm-hmm. right? So, like, our current cultural state is one of consumption, yeah. right? Materialism right, right. in any sense. And so you bring something like a sacred, you know, plant medicine, like ayahuasca, into a society like this, and it becomes, you know, starts on the fringe, and then it becomes groups every weekend, right? right? Sitting literally every weekend, every weekend. playing with yeah. this powerful medicine or powerful drug whatever you want to label it as though it were some kind of toy you know to constantly be consumed potentially abused and it's frustrating uh for me to see that but i think it's just been absorbed by the surrounding environment in some ways totally yeah i mean there's definitely like like i can't completely knock it because like it's opening things up Mm -hmm. um of course. And ultimately, like, I, I think the things do largely just mostly happen for a reason. I think that there is a certain deterministic element to the universe. Hmm. Um, but it's also, you know, you can't be, I also believe in being critical of things that are, or like, obviously bad in order to fix those things and to be able to move forward. I think that that's, we're on an evolutionary path and the path forward is usually involves, like, chopping away at like the things that aren't helping us grow. And like that to Mm. me is a huge problem because it just isn't actually serving those people. It's just actually like a lot of instances making things a lot worse for them and like creates a, you know, a culture of kind of exclusivity and superiority and, you know, when it's meant to be about togetherness and right. co- and connectedness and hive mind, maybe me- not meant to be, maybe that's strong, but one can experience that. One can experience it. And also I think one can, you know, if you're not helping other people, like if you're not doing something that like helps to like lift other people up, 
you're for sure not going to experience as much lightness of being as someone who does. Like, that's just part of being human. Like, we're here to help each other. Like, we're here to be in community. It's scientifically proven that, like, we do a lot better when we actually have a lot of friends to kind of check on us and make mm. sure that other things are, you know, in order in our lives. Like, we we need other people. And where there is injustice, like, how can you not want to put that back into balance, you know, that doesn't really make sense to me on an empathic level. And I think it's only people who are like not looking at things from that or who are looking at things from the perspective of like, okay, well, you know, I'm going to help the people who I'm meant to help, or I'm, I'm going to shine my light. And my light is like a white privileged lady light. So like, I'm that's the only type of person that I'm going to help. <laughs> it's like, uh, uh, maybe you yeah. know but like I, and like everyone needs it but if there's no if there's no efforts being made to help people who need it who wouldn't otherwise be able to get it then like there's something problematic there you know and that's that's what I see more so in Burning Man spiritual communities than anything else it's like you go to Burning Man and yeah and there's very few um, there's there is little diversity there yeah, like it is a rich white person festival, right. objectively. Yeah. Although I think they they don't want it to be that way. It just yeah. has become that, and I think they've they've brought in a lot of different elements. I know last year there were a lot of art pieces from various cultures, and they try, but you know, in a weird way, it's it's um, yeah. isolating. Yeah, I mean, it's a futuristic event, you know, yeah. um, and a lot of what I'm trying to do is connecting people back to traditional roots. Hmm. That's like really what the essence of East Meets West is about. A lot of the focus of it is about herbal medicine, hmm. um, which I think is like kind of the be all end all of healing for most people. Like, you know, people are divorced from nature. Like that's the fundamental problem that's going on here. Like we're too hmm. much in our minds in the future and whatever is going on. And we've, separated ourselves completely from the past we've put old people in nursing homes yes we don't eat food that we should be eating which we've mm. co-evolved to survive and sustain ourselves with um we have no understanding of plants or flowers or trees or, or and the healing effects that they can have on not just the body but the mind mm. i particularly work with flower essences which are specifically for mental states so you know you have um Hornbeam, which is for morning depression that leads to a sense of procrastination. When you said hornbeam, I thought it might have been something else. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, keep going. It's the best flower name. Of all of them. Or wait, what's another really good one? Speaking of Burning Man, I think that's someone's ply. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a teddy, teddy bear chola cactus. That's another one. Actually, another really good one. That's for when you're impatient with your speed of growth. <laughs> okay. Like each individual plant has like a specific psychological mm. thing that goes with it. Like um, uh, clematis is for when you're like too, when you're really spacey and not grounded and can't mm. pay attention to things. Um, uh, elm is for feelings of overwhelm um, and anxiety. It's uh, uh, another specific. Larch is for lack of self-confidence. Mm. Um you know, fucking no one even believes that this stuff works when you like show it to them. Cause like flower essences are like the bottle says like take four drops four times a day. They collect 
essences by like collecting the flat the water off of the morning dew of the flower it just like sounds like pseudoscience and like yeah of course like i agree with that like it sounds stupid yeah but like, maybe it works and like mm. you're really just taking the you know like if you have any question that herbal medicine works like then you know there, there's going to be no convincing you but like there's that's insane because there's so many studies now about how they do work and you know they're utilized in all other cultures 80 percent of the world still uses this stuff obviously it hasn't been used for five thousand years because it doesn't work you know and of course there's a placebo effect like you know and maybe that's been the only thing that's been at, in operation and all of that mm. um but i think you'd be kidding yourself at this point to you know with where the culture is at with well, one like, thing so when people talk about a placebo effect Maybe, maybe a placebo effect, you know, people that are hard scientists are going to kill me for saying this, but like, well, one, it doesn't matter, right? If, if it's cured, it's cured. Yeah, totally. Um, two, maybe a placebo effect actually has to do with something psychological that we don't mm -hmm. see in, yeah. in massive studies, right? right? So like, you know, a per certain percentage of the placebo population actually gets healed of something because they believe they're getting cured. Yeah. Maybe that speaks less to the medicine and more to the individual. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, yeah. you hear these miracles all the time of people healing themselves. Yeah. Um, and it seems within the realm of possibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I almost want to say experience is entirely subjective. Mm -hmm. And thus, what I think this type of medicine might be around experimenting with what works for you. Yes. Uh, yeah. I would maybe have the caveat that, like, it's not all completely subjective that there is an, an objective reality. There's an, there's a reality outside of you. Mm. So like, you can't just think away like a uh, yeast infection, you know, like you, <laughs> or a broken arm. Right. Yeah. Like, those things you probably need some help with. You yeah. Know? Um, but the power of thought to change your physiology is real. Like you can change the you know speed of your blood flow. You can change obviously the rate of your breathing. Yep. And all of those things will have overall your digestion. Right. Those will have overall systemic effects on the way that everything operates in your body. Right. Um, and so it has the power to expel disease, especially mm. less serious ones. Um, but when things are like go much deeper than like you do need healing substances to help fix those things. Um, and I think that like, you know, what the fuck are the odds that like we are born on this earth and then all of a sudden there are plants that grow from the ground that like, if you mix them correctly can fix the problems that are in your body. Like it's wild. It's totally crazy that that's. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of this Louis CK bit where he, um, he does like, you know, people are asking God, like, why God, you know, why don't you give me this? And he's like, dude, I, I put it all over the ground oh, for it's, you. Yeah, yeah. It's right there. Right. You know, it fell off the tree. It's <laughs> just eat it. That's, that's what you'd like. I, I gave it to you. Just do it. Like I drank the Pepto-Bismol. Like, yeah. <laughs> that the trick. Like, oh, the guy at CBS oh, or at Pepto-Bismol, the company, did probably is like mostly up for money. <laughs> Maybe. Know? Yeah. Like you can't synthesize those things into things that can make money. So like, mm. that's why, like, that's why we've been sold all these other things when like actually, and I mean, like, I think it's, we've obviously like developed 
technologies that like are amazing and interesting and valuable in their own right. Um, but we've like in doing that, it's like we've thrown out the baby with the bathwater. It's like, we've just been like, Oh, well let's, let's only do that. You know, cause it's yeah. just like a human tendency. It's like, we get focused on one thing and then we are like to the exclusion of everything else. We pursue that one thing. And then you realize like, Oh wait, like I need these other things too. Mm. And that's just, you know, uh, a function of being, you know, like kind of monomaniacal, I guess you could say. Yeah, that's, that resonates. I, um, I, I'm reminded of, of, uh, of you, you called it a Bilbo Baggins <laughs> or I'm thinking of Bilbo Baggins. You said like a hobbit's tale. Yeah. Um, we'll get back to Bilbo later, but you know, I'm reminded of Ram Dass. He talks about, um, in this speech he made dying into life, he talks about the path is narrow and you kind of stray from the path in any in either direction. It's kind of like this meandering, mm, snake-like yeah. around the path because the road to perdition is wide, quote-unquote. Mm. Not his quote, I don't think. Um, and I feel like, at least in my personal journey, and I'd love to hear about yours as well, the pendulum has swung. You know, it, it was like finance and economics, and then it was like no material things i can be a yoga <laughs> yeah, instructor yeah, yeah. and i was like oh wait like they're not that bad and now it's like oh my god money's great and it's like wait but i want to go back to this yeah, yeah, yeah. i feel like as a society we're doing that you know yeah. and and i feel you know going back to yoga because that's that's the practice that i know the best it's about hugging the midline yeah right what it's not just about you know irrational belief yeah. nor is it about hyper rationality it's yeah. somewhere in the middle that we find that balance and and yeah i think you know what we're seeing is this kind of resurgence of uh, that's why i love east meets west you know some of this stuff fits in eastern philosophy meeting kind of the rational western how do we get the scientists of the world to embrace that perception is limited and that which is not provable may be valuable. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's, I think psychedelics are going to be the thing that's going to change that. Um, And I think that is changing. Mm. Um, You know, you've got Michael Pollan's book that just came out, um, which is kind of reintroducing psychedelics to, you know, an audience that's generally more, you know, older, more intellectual, Um, you know, New York Times readers types, um, which I think will have an overall systemic effect on, you know, people who would otherwise consider themselves to be more on the atheistic agnostic side of things. Um, Cause for me, at least I was like, so on that path, if I had not done psychedelic, I would have never seen mm-hmm. the other side. Like, unless I'd had an experience that completely like, I could not explain according to just like normal cause and effect that seemed to have a very clear and particular meaning to me in my life. I wouldn't have. Well, they, what are those NDEs near death experiences, right? Yeah. have a similar effect to psychedelics. Right. Exactly. It's like when you have those experiences and that's so cool. Cause it's like, that's the having an experience of something is so different from having an intellectual understanding of it. Like, Well, they certainly, you know, if nothing else, make you appreciate just how subjective your own reality is, which I think in and of itself is an important discovery. Um, I think we can get there without, you know, without 
the use of psychedelics. I think one can definitely get to that point. Um, I'm always reminded of this episode of planet earth. Mm. Uh, it's like deep sea and there's this creature underwater that, um, that emits a certain, uh, wavelength of light such that it's invisible to all of the other creatures around it at that, at that depth. And, you know, that's how I equate spirits in our fluid, which is air, the fluid that we move through every day, you know, it's really not a big leap for me to imagine that there are entities that live within this fluid the same way that there are yeah. invisible to our perception and our senses. Right. And so that doesn't mean that to say that, like, you know, I, I believe in ghosts or that, yeah. you know, I believe in in magic necessarily, um, which I actually do. Um, and I think that's OK. But I don't think one needs to be irrational to appreciate that there are things that we don't understand and to be open-minded to old Eastern or to new. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. I would agree with that hundred percent. And yeah, I don't think that, you know, psychedelics are necessary. I think that I just see that coming. I think I see another psychedelic revolution, like about Mm. to hit Gwyneth Paltrow just released an article saying that they're the next wellness trend. So, (laughs) Mm. wow. Yeah. (laughs) My, um, I I have a friend, I'm actually, I'd love to interview him on the podcast. He's, he's, you know, he was very straight and narrow, kind of like very science oriented, working on biotech startups and now is like moved into psychedelic research. Um, my friend Liana is hopefully going to be on the podcast as well. And she, uh, Sonata, she's working with maps now, uh, MDMA in phase three trials for, um, PTSD, Hmm. ketamine just released for depression, psilocybin in, I think phase two trials for depression, right? This stuff is real. This stuff is working now. And I think you might be right. Yeah. That it, the time is coming. Yeah. So let's talk about it. Yeah. So, you know, the event, you know, features a lot of like workshops, talks and panel discussions on, you know, especially, you know, wellness practices, um, but also just Eastern Western wisdom of all sorts. So, mm. you know, you might have some talks that are like more like just Ted-esque that could just, you know, you would maybe find that avenue, but you know, we have a lot of stuff that's more oriented around, you know, explaining things either through or with a, um, with a view or a lens to, you know, spiritual or Buddhist or, you know, um, practices that are not totally like accepted or super well known by people you mm. know, in the Western world shamanic practices shamanic viewpoints of the world too um and who's the target audience is it individuals that are kind of already in that mm -hmm. space or are you trying to bring in you know more numbers uh so i'm i want to bring in more people who are not already fully Mm -hmm. in that world um people who are already in that world obviously come because they're like i love this shit yeah (laughs) um but how do you attract people that are not already in that world? Well, it's hard. And the, so far it's been hard. Um, but the next one, um, I have like plans to like basically bring in speakers who mm-hmm. can attract a like broader audience. Um, well, Tony Robbins is like such a perfect example, right? Yeah. Right. Totally. Someone like that or like, a um, well, I'm, yeah, I'm like, you know, working especially hard to get like Michael Holland at the event and um, you know 
artists who have a weird flavor to them, like Reggie Watts, like people who like appeal to just kind of a broad millennial, any millennial is interested in this stuff and is open to it in a way that like I can work with, you know, um, like so many people now are like reaching out to me and being like, I brought a tarot deck, you know, and it's just like, yeah, cool. And they're like, I don't believe in it, but like I use it. <laughs> and it's like, okay, well, <laughs> well, one, I find tarot to be interesting because it, it, it provides, um, reflection. Yeah. So you, right. whether or not you believe whether in the deck, you pull a card and you read it and then it's like, Oh, I have to think yes, 100%. about this and yeah. where I am. Totally. And I think that it's valuable for that reason. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just like, I've been reading tarot for long enough that like, I've seen like the, the coincidences there and like my ability to, uh, like kind of read between the lines of like what the different interpretations of the combinations of the cards mean that like, they're so specific to my situation most of the time that it's like, I, and I don't even know what it says about the structure of the, it's like the fact that we create our own meaning or that there's a synchronicity to the events that unfold between the cards and what's happening in my mind or happening in my life. Um, whether or not that was predetermined over, I don't know what's going on, you know? Um, I've like studied a lot of astrology stuff and you know, that in particular is like, well, are the planets affecting us? Like, I don't, I can't say that. I don't know what the fuck the forces are that would be interacting there. Um, the best description I've heard is that like they act more as a mirror, like, but there's no, uh, that doesn't explain the how that doesn't explain the cause and effect between why the things are related mm-hmm. to each other. Um, and I don't think that it has to, I don't even think it ever will. I don't think it can. Um, and I have no real stake in that, but I've seen the correspondence between them and in such like astounding symmetry that like, I can't deny that. Like, I think that there's a uh, correlation or I mean, enough correlation as, is the word. As but. someone who's obviously really intelligent, um, do you struggle with knowing that you believe in that which you cannot prove via cause and effect relationships? Um, no, but only because the word belief would be wrong to say about what I, I am always experimenting Mm. and everything is a continual revision of that first experiment. And I'm always replacing whatever came before with something that's maybe slightly more certain, but that's never going to get to absolute certainty. So like that's, if you take belief to mean that, then um, I don't struggle with it, but I do struggle with the fact that it can be hard to convey in a precise, like, one sentence. <laughs> well, I just find, like, I struggle, for me personally, I struggle with that, specifically yeah. with my friends who are so in right. the intellectual realm. Right. You know, I, I it's, I, I have not, I need to hone my argumentation skills yeah. in order to, you know, avoid logical fallacies and things like that. Yeah, totally. Right. When I'm describing these things, right. because there is an element of faith in, yeah. in, in it for me personally, yeah. um, because, because I, because I believe that even with an N of N equals one in the experiment, experiment of my life, that it's, yeah. you know, that it's still meaningful. And if yeah. it works for me, then 
hey, like I'm going to share that it works for me. If it works for you too, great. Totally. Yeah. I mean, that's true. Like I do, I would say that I do struggle with like, I do have a faith in a certain way. Like I'll make decisions based on what my tarot cards say or like what my astrology is saying. And that would be a hard thing to, to, to tell some of my friends that I, well, they would, they're not, they're not there. So like, they're not going to them. That's totally irrational. And for me to even explain it to them, well, for the most part, it's like I could give them this whole spiel and like, a lot of the time, I think it's truly that their attention span couldn't even pay attention for long enough to construct the whole argument for me to make and for them to fully, for it to sink in all the way. Because it is so, com- it's complex at its root, but also a lot of times they just haven't had an experience that makes them believe like, okay, well, that could, that could make sense to me, you know? Um, so I don't expect them. You know, like I don't expect someone who hasn't had those experiences. Like there's literally no expectation. But that's, but in a way that with your festival, that's what you're, Mm -hmm. you know, you have to get them there, there. And if psychedelics is not right, like you're not going to be able to dose the world. I mean, maybe somebody's trying, (laughs) like somebody out there pulling spring, you know, one day or whatever, but you know, it's a lot of people do enter this world through that or through some traumatic experience. And one, you know, you're not going to get everyone to do a psychedelic to open their mind to these new things. And two, you hope that everyone doesn't have to experience something traumatic in order for there to be a global shift in mentality. And so like, how do you bridge that gap? Yeah. So uh, I would say that it's fine for people to have it. I think everyone's going to have some kind of traumatic experience in order to actually make that shift. Like that's inevitable. People have to have some kind of low, they have to have some kind of emotional bottoming out in order to feel the pain of like wanting to transform. Um, and so I don't think that there's actually a problem with that. It's our relationship with pain and thinking that pain's a bad thing that creates the problem there. Um, and so even just giving people that information, like if they can, you can understand that intellectually. And like, if you can see that someone's actually lived that and gone through an experience, which I personally did with acid, where it extracted me from that experiencing pain as like avoiding, wanting to avoid it and actually being like wanting to embrace it. And people can slowly like dip their toe in the water of like getting a picture of what it looks like. And then hopefully, you know, decide to go do it on their own somewhere else and then maybe come back to the event next year and it creates a culture and a community of people who are doing that kind of stuff. Um, what about some kind of exchange program, mm-hmm. right? Or some kind of credits or something like that, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just ultimately like my event right now is like more focused on people who are like definitely who are liberals who are like living in cities who like are probably slightly more on the, like, you know, went to a good school and like are interested in this stuff, but are skeptical side of things mm. and also people who are already in it um and eventually it will broaden out and i think the culture as a whole i feel like i'm riding a wave of other things that are also kind of building up right now with like things like you were mentioning ketamine and ecstasy and stuff being um potentially being legalized sooner than later um and so i think that the broad culture at large will start to be more interested in this stuff in a general way um and i think it will grow it these things will grow over time. You know, I mm-hmm. think I can totally envision doing it in those types of places too. Um, you know, just logistically for me right now, it's, it's just not where my energy can be because I need to be growing it in those places and really cultivating an audience of people who also might want to, you know, I guess like getting those early evangelists 
Exactly. Like who want to actually like, you know, do it themselves and help me grow it, help yeah. do it in other places. Right. How important to you is the, is the one-on-one work that you do with people you're um, coaching? Yeah. I mean, for me, it's just, it's really valuable to have that one-on-one connection. I just like, I'm much better one-on-one than I am in groups in a general way. So mm-hmm. I like love doing that deep work with people and watching transformation happen like over the course of a session or over the course of the weeks that we don't work while they're taking the, you know, different herbs or supplements or whatever that I give them. Um, you know, ultimately like I want to be doing, it's like East means West is a way. And I didn't even realize this when I started it. I really just started the event because I was like planning events and I was like, I want to do something that introduces people in a general way. And I only started doing the one-on-one work recently. And now I'm realizing that I needed to have something that would actually allow people to experience transformation over the course of time mm-hmm. and give them like more consistent results. So they don't just take that information and then go home and never apply it. Mm-hmm. So that they actually like utilize it and see that it works and, you know, hopefully, you know, give it to other people and, you know, maybe get interested to learn that stuff themselves and spread the knowledge. Right. Mm. Um, it's a crucial component. It's like, if you're not doing one-on-one work, like you're not really doing a whole lot. It's like you can give broad general stuff, but everyone has their own particular trauma, you know, and if they're not getting handled one-on-one, if you're not going deep with people, if you're just going a mile wide and inch deep, that's, you've got to go both, you know, you have to go both Mm. wide and deep different points you have to kind of oscillate between those two things Hmm. yeah it's um it's a fine balance you know the the deep individual work can have a meaningful effect on one person right right but then you also want to have a broader reach as well 100 percent. well because also just by doing a broader reach i also will get people who are like much it's more ready funnel. for the transformation you know yeah it's like the top of the sales funnel <laughs> yeah <exactly. laughs> putting my capitalist hat on right, right now thinking about this stuff no that is i mean that i'm i don't have a problem with capitalism i think that capitalism yeah. is actually a good thing if the people who are capitalists are fully empathic and psychically aware of what they're doing so yeah. if they can actually feel the feelings of everyone who they work for and they work with and they have guidance from not just their business coach but also from like fucking spirits and things telling them what to do then you could be doing a great job with all that um you know there's nothing wrong with wanting to help people but if you do it in a way that's just extracting or that helps or that where you take on people who you know that you can't help or who need something else first and you don't refer them to other people like that's a problem you know that's where problems come in Absolutely. Specifically with this work, because people are so open, so susceptible, right. Right. you know, to manipulation. Yeah. You see a lot of false prophets out there. Right. Um, false shamans. A lot. <laughs> a lot. Yeah, a lot. And like, there's, you know, for me, psychedelics were like particularly valuable in like exposing me to like warning signs, like giving me intuitive, like mm. I will get the spidey sense in the back of my head. I will like, especially I have like spirit specific spirit animals that I see when I'm interacting with someone who's not totally where there's something shady going on. Hmm. Um, Are you getting any of those animals right now? No, you're good. (laughs) 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 I mean, I don't know. Maybe (laughs) I I did a reading before you. 
Okay, good. <laughs> I do, though. I literally read for like almost everything. You want to do a reading right now? Sure. Yeah. Can we do one on, on mic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This deck? Yeah, sure. Awesome. If it comes up like I'm going to die tomorrow, then I'm not going to post this. <laughs> this deck is a little harsh, so let's see. Oh, well, I could always use some tough love. Okay. I mean, it feels like this is kind of just talking about everything that we just talked about. <laughs> or like it's bringing up certain specific things. Hmm. Um, because we didn't even really touch on morality in particular, but that's like a kind of crucial component of um, like the philosophical framework that I feel like psychedelics and spiritual practice like opens you to. Because like if you just have a strictly scientific materialist or like physical understanding of the universe, you're there's actually no incentive to be moral. Like your understanding of the universe would be very Ayn Randian, like fountain heady. Like mm. you're entitled to all the work that you do and whatever you invent, like you can capitalize on that shit. And there's no if you like fuck over someone else, mm. like that's because you fully deserve what you did and you're getting that of your own free will. If that's your understanding of the universe, then like you're there's no incentive to like be a good person really at the end of the day. Like you might as well just like fucking like take advantage of shit because you're just gonna die and like But but someone like Sam Harris, who's like an ardent, yeah. you know, atheist, would say to that argument, like, I'm a good person because I see that that's the right thing to do. I, I would need the incentive. I would argue that that's actually almost um Almost like you're being a pussy. <laughs> like if you mean like there's no consequences to being bad. Yeah. If there were no consequences, you might as well just fucking do whatever the hell you want. I don't know. Like, I don't know that I agree with that. You know, I don't maybe, I mean, maybe, maybe instinctively that's what I'm doing because I have a fear of afterlife or karma or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. But you know, isn't it enough just to be, I mean, I think people kind. don't do it when they have a natural sense of empathy for other people. Cause like, that's hard to just get rid of completely. Mm-hmm. But if you follow, like I'm saying, if you're truly a scientific materialist and you don't really believe that like emotions are even real, that you think that it's just a byproduct or an of, of some kind of chemical reaction in your body. Yeah. Then there would be no real incentive to adhere to those or to value them or think that they're real. So if that's the case, then whatever you do that might hurt other people's feelings or there's no reason to think that like they're even an insoled person. Mm. You're just hurting another machine. You're hurting another machine. Right. There's like, what's who cares? Mm. Like, yeah, I was thinking about, um, well, I, before when you were, we were talking about kind of how do we bridge the gap? I was thinking a lot about, uh, yoga again and uh and the physical practice right because a lot of people move into asana practice first because they have some kind of injury or they want to get fit or something yeah. like that mm-hmm. there's one studio in, in la that i won't go after by name but they just did this challenge where it was like right how many years you've been doing yoga on your hand and post it right <laughs> yeah. to instagram and i thought about doing it i was going to do it in like a suit or something like mm-hmm. totally not like my sexy yoga spandex you know yeah and um And I'm reminded, this morality card is reminding me of a quote from Dharma, who's a teacher in New York who I've studied with a little bit. Mm, He's a living guru to many. Uh, And he basically says, yoga without the yamas and the niyamas is just gymnastics. And the yamas and niyamas are basically the moral code of yoga practitioners. And so I agree. I mean, you need that scaffolding 
um, in order to build up a true spiritual practice. I think that's important. Totally. Yeah. And I don't think that you can have those without the spiritual experience either. Like, I don't think that they, they don't pop up without there being an actual, uh, without there being karmic problems for you. If you like, aren't a good person, like Mm -hmm. if you don't live forever, there's like, if you're just going to die and like, you might as well fucking like get as much out of it as you can, you know? Yeah. Like the hedonist style. Right. Like that's what that, I mean, it's just like, it's, you don't even have to like, you know, believe me in like the sense of like, like I wouldn't do that. Cause like, that's when I think about it logically, like that's not where I would go. Just look at what our, where our culture is at and like, look at what we believe and like, look at what people do. That's what happens. So like there's a cause and effect there, you know? And it's the opposite. It's the opposite case in which people tend to do more like quote unquote moralistic humanitarian things that actually like help other people. So how bad is this reading? Cause we're, we're not, we're not, go- we're not going in on it. You've been really nice about avoiding it. Is it that bad? Am I going to die? <laughs> Talk, to <laughs> Talk to me. I'm scared. <laughs> I mean, I'm just not, positive i'm like it's, think like it's a reflection of our conversation and and that energy rather than yeah because it's just like the the fool is like just kind of like talking about things that are like kind of out in the air like to me this card is like he's stepping off of a cliff like into like kind of nothingness mm. and like our conversation has been very much like philosophically like <laughs> out in the ethers <laughs> That's true. Maybe it's telling me not to do a podcast in general. Just, just the, the fool going to talk about everything that already else is out there. Right, just yeah. go do something. No, I mean, this is like, and then this is just like him stepping off. And then that's like where you end up. It's just like going into like stepping into nothingness in a certain way. Beautiful. I mean, it's a wonderful me... place to step into. I'm excited by that. Parrot. Interesting. I think the parrot is actually being a lot about communication. Like, they imitate human voices. So like, uh, it's an interesting one to get in the context of a podcast. Cause it's like, we're, I mean, we're in a certain sense, like parroting other people's ideas, but yeah, I mean, expressing our own too, you know? Um, but mostly just parroting. Yeah. It reminds me actually of the, the my senior paper that I wrote in college was about um, this short story by Flaubert called um, a simple heart where this like, like kind of like made of this like rich family um has this relationship with a parrot that's like really transcendental and (laughs) um and it's apparently very clear that flaubert is like mocking this person um in my like senior defense oral that i had um that's what all the other teachers took it to be they took him to be kind of mocking this dumb, this dumb girl who was having this like transcendental experience with the parrot, who's obviously like saying thing like the parrot as a symbol is saying things that don't have meaning. It's just repeating things, but it doesn't understand what they mean. So it's like, uh, it was a symbol that like nothing has meaning. Um, and I was taking it to be like, there's actually a lot of meaning like this. It's kind of a beautiful experience for this like person who's like, not well-educated and not rich to have this like kind of naively like transcendental experience because she doesn't over intellectualize things. Um, and that to me is like a, you know, kind of commentary on a lot of the things that we've been talking about. Cause a lot of people do, you know, when they over intellectualize, they have this, if you get stuck, just 
you know, in the world of language and not having an experience that points to the things that language can only point to, then you're not going to have a meaningful understanding or a meaningful experience of what it actually is to be human and to have something that's like not a fully like immaterial experience. Beautiful. I think we can stop with that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for listening. I hope that you enjoyed that episode and I hope that you're enjoying the podcast. It's been a really fun ride so far. I just get so excited every time I meet some of these incredible people and just love sharing their stories and and ideas with you all. You can learn more about the show at thelookuppodcast.com. That's T-H-E, lookuppodcast.com. You can follow me on social media at Wark Meinstein, W-A-R-C-M-E-I-N-S-T-E-I-N on both Twitter, Instagram, um, and Medium and Facebook. Uh, We have a Facebook page for the show as well, The Look Up Podcast um, on Facebook. So check us out. Uh, You can also subscribe to our mailing list on the website for more future updates. If there's anything from the show that you want to catch, I've posted that in the show links for you to check out. And if there's any way that I can improve, please let me know. Feel free to reach out. If you have any guest recommendations, please let me know. Other than a couple of individuals who are helping me out in the background, you know, this is a passion project and I'm always open to feedback and any kind of support. I want to thank Sam Palumbo and Patch Kid Music for the sound editing and the intro and outro song that he created. And I want to thank Hello There Collective for their support on my social media. You can check them out at hellotherecollective.com. All right, that's enough for me. I'm sure you're ready to go on to your next activity. Thank you for listening. And please come back again next week for another episode of the Look Up Podcast. Podcast.